Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Amr Awadala, founder and CEO at Vectera. Amr, welcome to the show. My pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. Excited for the episode today. So let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your background. So right now, I'm CEO and the co-founder for Vectara. Before that, I was VP of Developer Relations at Google Cloud for two years. And before that, I was founder and CTO of Cloudera, which was one of the very first big data companies and went all the way to be a public company on the New York Stock Exchange. Though about a year and a half ago, two years ago, they got acquired back private by a private equity firm. Uh, before Cloudera, I was at Yahoo for about eight years. They had acquired my first startup. So this Victoria now is my third one. And then before that, I was at Stanford where I did my PhD. Oh, awesome. So really looks like kind of that founder entrepreneur background from the start. And so is your background, is it more on the technical side or, or commercial side? It's, it's more on the technical side. So this technical. is the first time I do a CEO role with the Victara uh, organization. Historically, I've been CTO role is what I was uh, more focused on. And by the way, just as a backstory, when I came to the US to get my PhD, I'm from Egypt, by the way. So I came here in 1995. My goal was not to be an entrepreneur. My, my goal actually was to be a professor and teach because that's what my dad uh, taught me all my life. That's what you're going to grow up and do because my dad himself was a professor of economics uh -huh. and accounting at Cairo University, but then I frequently joke and say that Stanford corrupted me <laughs> away from this teaching mission because Stanford, they, they deserve credit. They're so good at implanting you with the entrepreneurship bug. They give you so many courses and lectures around the non-technical aspects, like how do you make up a pitch? How do you create a business plan? How do you do sales, marketing, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff? And then they invite many folks from the industry, like the founder of Oracle or the founder of Intel or the founder of uh, Yahoo, or now nowadays will be Google, come and give a talk. And so you get to see these founders and then that removes the the, the myth of founders are these amazing people that have wings and can fly. It's like, there's just not normal people that have the, the grit to work hard and, and make their dream become a reality. Yeah, I could see how that's said for an environment. Would it be hard to pay, like you'd be, you're a bit with that startup bug or, you know, trying to you know, start your own own uh, venture. Yeah. Right. And of course, well, the Bay Area, like Silicon yeah. Valley. I always I'll also say like, I was very surprised when I landed in SFO for the first time and then you're going in the highway and you see the Oracle building right there on 101. Just like, this is Oracle right there. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that also, I think, gives you the answer. It's like, these are normal, these are like yeah. things we hear about, but we can make something like that. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Always fun to see that. And so tell us a little bit about Victara. You know, again, this is your, your third company now. So tell us what products and services Victara offers. Yeah, so imagine imagine you have an intern uh, working for you that has a photographic memory. They never forget anything. They are multilingual. They can speak 30 languages, uh, um, English, German, French, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, whatever. And they read everything you care about, not just that you care about, that whoever is in your role cares about, whoever is before you or after you, so retains the memory across. And now you can brainstorm things with that intern. You can ask them a question, oh, last time when we looked at this situation, what did we decide? Uh, can you explain the first reason? Can you explain the second reason? Okay, can you help me write now an email that summarizes these reasons so I can send that to my boss and tell them this is why we shouldn't do this, <laughs> right? So, so imagine that, and that's, that's what we do. Another way we describe it is a chat GPT, but for your own data, right? It's, a, it's the same kind of experience you get with chat GPT, but the, the, the generative output 
is grounded in your own data. So it's not coming from whatever ChatGPT knows about the world or whatever they're able to hallucinate and make up. No, it's coming from your own data and your own memos and your own emails and your own uh, Word documents, PDFs, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And yeah, I was reading. Yeah. And so you're able to use that power of, say, like a chat GPT, but apply it to your own data, but also make this easily accessible for your customers then to do this. So they don't need that experience of building out these these big models. Exactly. So there's two ways you can build out this kind of capability end to end. You can go work with OpenAI. You can work with a vector database company called Pinecone. You can work with another company called Hugging Face or Cohere to get the models. And then you stitch them all together to make this work. Uh, our, our power uh, and the thing that differentiates us from all of these vendors in the space is our simplicity. We have a very simple API. You need to know nothing about large language models or machine learning or natural language processing. You simply call the API once to upload the data in many formats. And then you call it with the, you call the API with your query or prompt or task and we perform it for you. And we take care of optimizing that entire pipeline so that you can be up and running in no time. And that's so exactly making, all. Okay, so yeah, so you're making it easy for developers, engineers out there, then just hook to your API. You've built out all the, that backend, all the, the processing, and then they they can probably, you know, then have fun with that, you know, through the API. So yeah. tell, like, who, who are you talking, what kind of customer profile are you targeting? Are you targeting tech companies, manufacturing? Like what, who are you going after for customers? Excellent question. First, I think this is applicable to any customer everywhere. Like everybody has knowledge that they're working with and they want to be able to brainstorm and leverage that knowledge continuously. The, the, the two use cases we're very focused on right now is first customer support. So customer support lends itself so well to this, like because you already have written many knowledge-based articles about how to solve that problem, how to solve that problem. And if you have this genius brain that can read all of that and give you the perfect answer every time, who would not want that? So that's the number one use case that we are focused on. The number two use case is knowledge discovery. And knowledge discovery is a use case that's more specific to people that leverage knowledge continuously in their job. So think lawyers working on contracts or working on doing legal reviews. Think investment analysts looking at previous investment memos, pitches and trying to make a decision whether to invest in a company or not. Or pharma researchers looking at different types of research and, and drug, drug trials to make a conclusion, or somebody in the news, just following the news and wanting to stay current on what's happening right now because they're about to write a blog post or they're about to go on a, on a, on a podcast like this one and they wanna make sure they're saying accurate things. So that's kind of, these are the two use cases that we're primarily after, but we think this technology can be applied in many other use cases as well, like legal e-discovery, anti-money laundering, e-commerce search, enterprise search. There's many, many other applications for this. Yeah, so widespread use, which it sounds like. So yeah, any any company out there offering customer support or if you're a knowledge worker or discovery, you, know, you can apply uh, Vectera to it. And so your model, so API, so would this be usage-based pricing? So variable revenue streams coming in? It's consumption-based, yes. So consumption we, we, charge based, by, yeah. We, we, we charge by bundles and the bundle has two components in it. One is how much data you're consuming, how much data you're uploading in our platform to store and leverage in this capability on your behalf. And then how many API calls you're making against our platform. We have a freemium offering that gives you 50 megabytes of data which sometimes people think that's small, that's text data. 50 megabytes of text data is a lot. That is the Harry Potter series. 
entire series okay. stored five times over. That's how much you can keep in 50 megabytes of text data. And then we give you 15,000 API calls uh, for free. So that's the starter premium that can you can be up and running, try it out, make sure it's uh, fulfilling your needs. And then if you decide, oh, I like this, uh, we charge $1.25 uh, for every additional 1,000 API calls and five megabytes of data. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And then what year did you found Victara? So uh, Victara was actually started by my co-founders who left before me. They left Google before me in uh, 2020. And uh, they raised a very small amount of money at that time, a uh, million dollars. And they were focused on getting the, uh, the main initial uh, system done. And then I joined forces with them in 2022, in January of 2022. In fact, at the first day of the year of 2022, that's when I started. And then we, we raised a significant amount of cash, about $20 million at that time. And that's when we started to work in earnest on launching our product. And then we launched our product last October, October 12th. 2022 that's when we launched publicly okay all right yeah now we'll, we'll maybe circle back to that time frame with the fundraising story and and where are you guys located do you have a hq or are you all virtual yes no we have up a head uh, we have a headquarters in palo alto okay palo alto. and right. funny story the headquarters we're in right now my previous startup their name is uh, cloudera so okay. they had that building but they had uh, merged with another company called Hortonworks. So the building is still theirs because of the lease and it's very hard to get rid of leases right now, given what's happening in the world. So they were generous enough to let me sublease part of that building for my new company. So I joke and say that Victara for me sometimes feels like the, the movie Inception, you know, the movie Inception where you had a dream inside of a dream. And so the yeah. same thing, like yeah. I'm a startup inside of a startup right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, funny. All right, so Palo Alto. And then what's your current team size? We're 25 people right now. 25 people. Okay. And anything you want to share around your, your revenue range at your size? And I can't share. I don't share, share revenue. Okay. Yes. Okay. And then tell us. But we are a making bit. revenue. We are yeah, making so revenue. So your revenue. So not, not pre-revenue. Yes. Okay. That, that's good to know. You know, talk to a lot of founders still in that pre-revenue stage. And then tell us a little bit about your one, you know, AC. No, like, we are making revenue. So we're post-revenue, yeah. but we're pre-scale. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so making money and then looking, yeah, scaling up. And yeah. what tell us a little bit about your go-to-market motion. And then also with your ACV, I don't know if you know if you're getting a thousand dollars a month, you know, hundred thousand dollars a month, but tell us a little bit about how you're finding yeah. your customers. As I described, our business model is consumption-based. Mm -hmm. So it's what's what's commonly known as the land and expand business model. Mm -hmm. right? So our our goal is to land the customers. Even if they land with $1, which, by the way, that's the minimum you need to pay us is $1.25. That's the minimum uh, to get this five. Actually, the minimum is zero because you can start with the premium offering. But once you start paying, you're paying $1.25 for every five megabytes and every uh, thousand calls, API calls. From there on, our job is to try to grow you as much as we can to get you put more and more data into our platform and consume more and more API calls. So that's our business model at the high end. Now, how do we find our customers? We, we have a hybrid, we're going after a hybrid motion. Uh, so we're doing both a product-led growth uh, motion where you can come to our website, uh, you can have whatever use case you, you like to do and just start using us uh, with the freemium offering. And then eventually you upgrade uh, to start paying us. And then we have a sales-led growth motion where we're directly after going after use cases like the ones I described. We're going after support use cases within organizations. We are going after legal uh, this, uh, use cases. We're going after pharma use cases. 
uh, financial and news uh, use cases. So, so these we are explicitly going out and hunting for right now as well. So it's a hybrid and, motion. Yeah, no, I like that. So PLG, and tell us on the SLG side, so the sales-led growth, yeah. are there two components to that? Does it at some point kick in with your existing customer base where they reach a certain point in the PLG motion and then you apply a sales force to that to then further expand them? Excellent, excellent point. So two, two criteria. One would be if we see their size now getting to a point where, oh, we would benefit from having a sales agreement and start, uh, try to sign up the, sign them up for one year of consumption ahead of time and give them a discount so we can get a bigger deal right here, right now, which is which is very good for cash flow, as, as you know. So that's one criteria for when the sales team would engage with somebody that came uh, through the product cloud growth motion. The other aspect, if it's a large company, like if a big mm -hmm. bank or a big uh, telecom company or a big manufacturer came in on the PLG, we right away, a salesperson would call them up and say, how can we help you be more successful? <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Yeah, if you see some you, you Fortune 20 sign up, then it's like, hey, let, let me give those guys a call. Okay, yeah, you know, really interesting. Of course, PLG is so common, well, now common today, but just really interesting of how that motion evolves over time. And then eventually that sales-led motion kicking in to put, you know, exactly. really accelerate it after that. Exactly. That's why I figured let's just start doing both at the same time. Like, let's not sequence it that way because it does create a hiccup. Like companies, like I know, for example, one of the great success stories for SaaS companies that we all look up to is Atlassian. And Atlassian, they have products like Jira, Confluent, and many others. And they were very product-led growth focused for their first many, many years, I think until the IPO. And then they saw that, oh, that's not going to get us the growth rates we need to be able to uh, grow into a well-valued uh, public company. And then they added the, the, the sales of growth motion at that time. It took them some time, but then eventually they figured it out, but it took time. So because it takes time to change yeah. the DNA of the company to be more, more more amenable to that so yeah. i decided oh i'll just do both of the same like from the beginning <laughs> love it and so it sounds like capital raised today initial one million dollar round and then recently last year 20 million dollar seed round so 21 million raised to date so tell us a little bit about that journey yeah. you know you know from the one million was you know was there a product were you selling the story then a million to start creating the product and tell us a little bit about the 20 million dollar raise Yes, yes. So, so it's a bit more actually involved than that. So let me explain the process. So the, the 1 million that was raised in 2020, that was a friends and family round, essentially, that, mm -hmm. uh, that my two co-founders did at, the, at that time. Uh, so actually, there was one VC that came in. There was one VC mm -hmm. that came in. They put half a million. Their name is Riot Ventures. They're a VC from Saudi Arabia, actually. Uh, so that was the, the round that was done. Uh, and it wasn't a round, by the way. It was a safe note, right? So that okay. came in on a safe note, which is the, pro the promise, uh, simple agreement for future equity uh, template that many of us use here. Same thing. When I joined forces with them in January of 2022, we went out and we raised the an additional uh, 19 million actually mm -hmm. uh, on top of that 1 million so i misspoke earlier and that was also done on safe notes so, so that was okay. still not a priced round so that was still safe notes uh, and then we started to build out without hire out the team but we were having conversations with investors and then many of our the investors i was planting the seed with to start doing the series a when we're ready for that which is we plan to do next year they were recommending before you come for the series a it would be very good if you convert these safe notes over uh, because it's cleaner cap table wise to, to do that than to wait until the series A takes place. Uh, and we were fortunate that a, an amazing VC firm, early stage VC firm approached us. Their name is Race Capital. 
and uh, they agreed to let's le let's lead the price round for you folks and they, they became the lead and that happened very recently that was uh, about um, like a, a month ago maybe we announced uh, publicly uh, so we raised more money from them uh, for a total uh, so when we close the seed round now at the price seed round the total was 28.5 million total raised okay okay 20.5 million raised to date and yeah. tell us a little bit you know you've got a lot of experience in SaaS and startups the the triggers are milestones that led you to say raise that 19 million safe and then you raised another price round here you know what did you see that said let's raise some capital uh, because consumption business models, as you know very well, they start land and expand business models. They start with low cash at the beginning, and then the cash flow adds later on uh, as you add an, add a more and more consumption within your platform, which means you need to be spending ahead of the curve in terms of sales and marketing until you get to that point. And that's why that's exactly why you need to fundraise. Otherwise, actually, you wouldn't. You, the only reason you would need to fundraise is just the engineers and paying their salaries, I guess. Yeah. So, so that was the logic for why. Now, the additional cash from this additional, like the, the 8 million that we raised uh, this year, in addition to what we had before, you can argue that that was not needed per se. Mm -hmm. However, we also saw a macro effect happening, which is in our space, the generative, the gen AI space, the large language model space, companies uh, started to move very quickly. Even larger companies like uh, Microsoft and the Google also started to move thanks to OpenAI with ChatGPT mm -hmm. and so on. So then we figured, oh, okay, now clearly, uh, there is a race like this is this is clearly now product market fit has been proven and there's no doubt about that and now it's about very good execution to capture for, for the land grab and for capturing a big uh, share of this massive new movement of systems that truly understand language and can help us do our jobs a lot more effectively uh, and hence we need to be spending more on expanding our sales organization and our marketing to be able to capture mm -hmm. that and partnerships as well so that that was the logic for why to add uh, an additional eight million this year. Okay, yeah. Thanks for the insight. So, any, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and tell us, you know, with those raises, you know, for other founders listening, you know, any lessons that you can share because obviously you've got a long experience in tech. But any lessons yeah. you can share with those raises that you would, you know, it's like, hey, I wish I did this differently, or or something, you know, that you could share as far as other founders who may be at that same point. Yeah, I, I, I always give two advice in answer to that question. The first one is we as entrepreneurs in our early stages, we're creating a company, especially if it's our first company. We are beggars. We're not choosers, right? We're, we're literally begging for money. So it's like if somebody comes to you and say, I want to give you money, you take it right away. It doesn't matter. What, of course, the terms need to be reasonable, but I'll say that's going to, especially if it's your first startup and you have to keep in mind that for your first startup, the chances of success is 10%, like one of every 10 companies is going to make it, the other nine are going to fail. So it's like really bad odds. The chance that you will become a public company at that stage when you're, so your first company is more like one in a thousand, right? Mm -hmm. So so I would say that one of the biggest risks you want to mitigate is extending your lifetime and making sure you have a sufficient run runway to not only try out your, your concept and make sure it's working, but to also be ready to do a pivot if you need to do a pivot, which mm -hmm. many successful companies came out of pivots uh, because they were smart enough to uh, retain their cash. Like, for example, Slack. Slack is a $20 billion company. It was a pivot out of a gaming company, right? Their first product mm -hmm. was a game. They were literally building a game. And as part of that game, they built this communication system for the game that they said, okay, let's take that and make that a product. And, and that pivot worked great for them. So you, you always want to make sure you have that. So that's my first advice I give. Mm -hmm. The second advice I give now as a repeat entrepreneur is in, as you prove yourself, the risk is going down because you have done it before yourself. So 
now you, this is when you start to be more cautious with the dilution, how much equity you're giving to the investors. You still want to be fair to them, but now you you have that you have the ability to be also more picky and choosy as opposed to begging for cash left here or there. Make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I appreciate those two two insights. In in at the stage of your company right now, do you have a favorite number or metric that you're focused on? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I'm. I, I'm, I'm trying very, very hard to work on one key metric, which is net dollar retention. Okay. That is in our world and in, in businesses where land and expand is how you're going to operate. Net dollar retention is king. Like that's what proves you have a business that is worth scaling up, that's worth spending money on, because not only are you assuming you get that to be in the 160 range or above, not only are you expand retaining the existing customer and getting them to spend 100% of what they spent before, you're expanding them to pay you more as you go. I mean, that, that's a no-brainer. That clearly now that means that you have a, a massive market opportunity in front of you. So that's the key metric we're focused on right now. We're not focused on the absolute revenue number. I mean, that's great. We're going to be trying to get that as well, but that's secondary to, to uh, getting customers in, even if they come in small, but then show that they expand as they uh, start to like the service that we're offering. Yeah, and that's really interesting. And you made that point clear, I think, was with that PLG motion, the land and expand, right? That's the whole point of net dollar retention where other customers, maybe I've got a traditional SaaS, I'm selling million dollar enterprise contracts, I got a couple customers. Well, maybe not much going on there yet for net dollar retention. And I don't have big enough product line yet to expand my customers. But for PLG, it sounds like you're saying, hey, right from the beginning, you need to be focused on this number. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time and, today. As we, also, yeah. Sorry, yeah, Ben. Sure. And also another key thing is to make sure is the revenue that's coming into you is diversified, right? It's not just coming from one customer that gives you a million dollars. That actually is not good for your funding. Like investors always look at that and say, you were lucky. You just got the big deal, right? Which actually is true most of the time. You want to show that, no, you have a healthy mix of 20, 30, 40, depending on your like which use case you're going after, but a healthy mix that shows the revenue is not focused on one customer's 90% of your revenue and then the remaining 10 are 10% of your revenue. Yeah, no, great point. Yeah, that that, that company or customer risk in, in one basket is, is really important. Uh, definitely something that's always looked in due diligence, right? So yeah, so I'm gonna really appreciate your time today. As we wrap up, tell us what's next, what's coming up that's new and exciting for Victara. Yeah, so I mean, as I as we said earlier in the conversation, I mean, there is a massive opportunity in front of us. Uh, this opportunity now has been proven, proven by ChatGPT growing to 100 million users in, in a matter of month, never happened before in our history. It shows that, that consumers want this. And if consumers want this, then businesses want this because businesses care about information way more than consumers care about information. So it's there is clearly a massive opportunity in front of us and there is many big vendors coming after the space and it's on us to execute very well to make that succeed. And what we want to offer you as organizations coming to leverage us is a very easy plug and play solution for you to get ChatGPT for your own data. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Uh, so if listeners would like to learn more about Vectara, where should we send them online? I would say two things. I mean, first, make sure to go to our website, victara.com. We have many, many useful information there. Our blog post is, our blog is full of, with very, very educational posts if you want to just learn about this case in general. And I would say follow me and follow uh, Victara on Twitter. Uh, my, my Twitter handle is my last name, Awadala, and Victara is Victara, V-E-C-T-A-R-A. By the way, very quickly, Victara is driven yeah. from Vector, and Vector mm-hmm. is how neural networks 
understand information. They convert information from English, French, German, our languages that we understand as humans into a bunch of vectors in a very high dimensional space. And that's why our name is Victara. Okay, I like that. Yeah, it's always interesting how startups come up with what they're naming. So yeah, appreciate that background. So if listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Victara, check them out at victara.com and you can follow her on Twitter. And we really appreciate you sharing your experience and your tech insight today. My pleasure. It was great to be here, Ben. Thanks for having me.